Thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to Airbnb.com/fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our dozens of listeners. Terms and conditions apply. It's Monday, February 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio. It's the Chief Investment Officer, Andy Cross. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris, always. Great time. So, you're one of those maniacs who wakes up early on a Saturday morning because Warren Buffett has posted his annual letter to shareholders. And we're going to get to that. That's why I wanted to have you on because I, I thought, oh, I know who's going to be up re- oh, yeah. reading this thing start to finish. It'll be Andy. Uh, we're also going to dip into the full mailbag. But let's, let's start with Berkshire Hathaway and let's start with this. They posted a loss in the fourth quarter. Massive one. The r- massive, although posting a loss pretty rare for Berkshire Hathaway. Um, we touched on this on Motley Fool Money uh, last week with the Kraft Heinz. Yeah. Is debacle too strong a word? I mean, certainly the write down to the tune of about $3 billion with Berkshire Hathaway, most of that was due to Kraft Heinz. Well, that's true, Chris. And, and uh, Warren Buffett talked about this. So, first, he, he gets um, into the specifics around a lot of nerdy accounting language, which he loved talking about, and readers of the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter, of which I am one. Um, he always talks a little bit about this, and especially about now that they fact they have to mark to market their public holdings, which cause a lot of volatility. And the difference from quarter to quarter ends in a profit or loss based on how the stock market has performed. And of course, as we know, at in the fourth quarter of last year, the stock market had a really rough go. So he talks about. Um, the fact that that leads to a lot of volatility in their quarterly results. And they don't agree with this uh, accounting rule, by the way. But he points out the fact that in the first quarter of last year, they had a minus $1.1 billion loss. Second quarter, a $12 billion profit. Third quarter, an $18.5 billion profit. And Chris, as you pointed out, in the fourth quarter, a minus $25.4 billion loss. Really, looking at the quarterly results for Berkshire Hathaway, it's almost meaningless just because their operating businesses are so consistent over time, and the volatility really comes from the, um, from the, equity, the public equity holdings, which now the accounting rules require them to um, mark at the current prices. That being said, the write down at Kraft uh, Foods really uh, hurt them as well too, because that hurts their uh, their profitability as well. And he was on CNBC this morning talking with our our good friend Becky Quick, and he was just very upfront about the fact. He said we overpaid yep. for Kraft Heinz, and I suppose that's easy to say in hindsight. But I'm wondering if you think this makes him less likely to pull the trigger on future deals, just because he and he's been very public about the fact. We're looking to make acquisitions. We want to make them at the right price. They don't want to overpay for something. And my hunch is that what happened with Kraft Heinz makes them even less likely to pull the trigger on a deal. I don't see it that way, Chris. I. Kraft Heinz is a partnership deal. They went in with 3G Capital, and 3G Capital is really their brand is taking a hit with a lot of this because they are they are 
they are running the Kraft Heinz operation, and they became too um, excited about some of the cost savings and missed a lot of the trends in the consumer products goods space. So, so that has hurt. I th- he talks a lot about he talks about this in the report, um, as he has in the past, talking about how they have this big elephant gun that they're they have 112 billion dollars in cash. He wants to deploy it. He said prices are are elevated to be able to. Put that to work, but if he finds a business that he thinks has good long-term economic um, opportunities and benefits and uh, a competitive position worth making, he will put that capital to work. And you just one thing I just loved is how he opens up every year and talks about the performance of Berkshire Hathaway. And for the third year in a row, they beat the Berkshire Hathaway stock, beat the beat the uh, S and P 500, um, which is now the preferred metric. Thinking about the market price, not the book value of Berkshire Hathaway. As they have more of these operating businesses, but this was the amazing stat that I saw, Chris, is that over the last 54 years, Berkshire Hathaway stock has gained 2.4 million percent, or an annualized rate of about 20 percent, versus the market's 15,000 percent, or about 10 percent. So over 54 years, they have doubled the annualized performance of the market. So clearly, a talented investor. The Kraft, as he points out, they overpaid for that. He's not going to sell the stock. He wants to continue to hold it. He talks about that in his report that they will not be selling a lot of businesses. They have a lot of cash to work from their from the balance sheet as well as from their massive insurance operations. That I think when he finds the right business at the right price, he'll pull that trigger. And not that I expect Buffett to be anything less than blunt when he's giving interviews, because he he always has been. I did find it oddly reassuring that he said we overpaid for this because I remember at the time, and I think. I know we talked about it on this show that at the time of the the Kraft Heinz, I mean, we call it a merger. I mean, it's really Heinz buying Kraft. The premium paid for Kraft was about thirty five percent, and it was one of those things where I think a lot of us sort of looked at the deal and said, "Okay, that seems like a high price, but it's Buffett, it's three G Capital." We trust them. I think they went in with their eyes a little too wide open, um, eyes a lot bigger than their stomach, because of some of the cost savings they thought they could get out of the merger operation. They have cut out about $1.7 billion over the last uh, since 2015, but I think they expected that to be more aggressive. They haven't been able to do that. Some of the brands are a little staid, as we talked about. While yes, they are, they do have uh, a, a Handful, uh, a dozen or so of billion-dollar brands. Uh, those brands certainly aren't what what they were used to. And this is the challenge in the consumer products, goods, businesses. And he talked a little bit about this before, which is the fickle consumer combined with a retailer now that is much more sophisticated than it used to be. Just look at what Amazon has done with the acquisition of Whole Foods. They are not price takers. They are not price givers anymore. They will be price takers. And that business on the retail side, much like the airlines have gotten religion on profitability, I feel like the retailers have as well. And that's also been a detriment to craft. And 3G just missed that. I think everyone expects there to be brands sold off from the Kraft Heinz universe. I saw one report that someone thinks that Maxwell House Coffee could fetch three billion dollars. I mean, is that 
That struck me as a little high. Well, you know, I, I was talking a little bit to some others about this. Is um, not everyone buys Starbucks coffee. Not everyone buys Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I mean, uh, Maxima House is a very large brand, um, and it still takes up a lot of shelf space. If you go into certain uh, grocery stores, it still takes up a lot of shelf space. So that's a massive brand. Some of them, maybe that might be tied into some of the um, opportunities that the team is seeing. Like you said, that the 3G capital might be divesting assets. They certainly have to to help uh, pay down some of the debt and get there uh, f- uh, on the right footing. Uh, whether it's macro health or other ones, we I, I'm pretty sure we will see over the next 18 months or so some uh, big divestitures coming from Kraft. A quick shout out to Airbnb. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment that you haven't made yet. Worried about your property? Eh, don't be. Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home, and you're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Host when you want, how you want. You could list one bedroom. You could list your entire place. It's all up to you. You know, we talk on this show about generating income with stocks. How about generating a little extra income with your place? You can use that income to pay bills, save up for retirement. You could. Use it to fund travel, make some money while you're traveling. So that's something that Airbnb hosts often do. So for our dozens of listeners, go to Airbnb.com/fool to start hosting. You will receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Again, get a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th by going to Airbnb.com/fool. And start hosting. Shares of General Electric up 10% this morning. I know, I'm incredulous to say that out loud. <laughs> um, GE is selling its biopharma business to Danaher for $21 billion and change. So, uh, probably not a surprise that the stock would be up. Uh, GE says they're going to use the money to get their balance sheet in order, reduce their leverage. This, I mean, this seems like. The obvious smart thing to do. Yeah, they have to do that. A little bit more surprising is that Danaher stock is up about eight percent as well too, Chris. As we're as we're talking here, so um, clearly investors seeing this as a good sign for both companies. Danaher is uh, is a serial acquisitive company. Uh, it's it's local here in D.C. and they've they've. Been enormously successful in rolling up operations over the years and building a really life sciences now bit focused business, and they're going to take this on from GE as GE tries to separate its biotech businesses from its other operations and, like you said, get its balance sheet in order and bring a little life back into that business. And for Danaher investors who are getting a pretty solid business, they're going to pay a premium for this. They're going to pay a nice penny for it at 17 times operation. Profits, uh, but be able to now put it into a family that has real experience in managing life sciences operations. Uh, so it's a good move that investors are seeing across the board. So, in the same way that we expect brands to be sold off from Kraft Heinz, is it reasonable to expect that this is not the only selling that General Electric is going to be doing this year? I think probably so. I mean, Larry Culp, who took on the role at GE as CEO, used to be at the CEO of Danaher. So there's a 
there's a connection there. That so he just like. called an so old friend. Probably called up an old friend and said, "Hey, what do you think? I, I have a business I want to sell. You got 21 billion dollars to spare." <laughs> uh, so I think that's that's it's not won't be surprising if we see GE continue to to focus and, and shed operations as they uh, look to to bounce off these lows. And it's nice to see the stock has rebounded uh, for share shareholders of GE. Um, stepping back and looking at, in the case of Berkshire Hathaway and General Electric, these two. Well, I was going to say two enormous companies. General Electric, a lot smaller than it used to be. Um, how do you think about mergers and acquisitions, given everything we've seen play out over the last few years? Uh, I think historically, if you go back decades, uh, large acquisitions, large mergers tend not to work out. Danaher and some other companies have had these. Uh, the consistent small, what are called tuck-in acquisitions at reasonable prices to be able to put them into their marketing engine and to put them into their sales pipeline, uh, take some costs out of the operations, especially on the on the on the back end back office uh, operations. Those tend to work much better, and companies have that can borrow at reasonable rates. And make those acquisitions and get some higher returns from them can be a good use of capital. But the large ones, the large mergers, these big acquisitions tend to make me a little bit less confident that this isn't just more empire building from a from a CEO from a board that just wants to be bigger. And we saw the big merger with the bank, uh, BB&T and SunTrust earlier this year. Um, we'll see how that plays out over time. Well, and when you were talking about tuck-in acquisitions, it reminded me of a company that has uh, was in the news recently for uh, a change at the top, Middleby, um, which is a company we followed pretty closely here at the Motley Fool over the past decade. Um, but Middleby has done a phenomenal job of growing that business by making those type of tuck-in acquisitions that are very much in their wheelhouse. That's exactly right, Chris. Yeah, if you think about what how Middleby has gone and made north of 40 acquisitions over their over the last couple decades, they make them bring them into their their sales pipelines, their sales force, help take some costs out. The Viking acquisition they made had didn't go very smoothly, and that was their largest. So again, as these companies start to stretch a little bit and start to take on a little bit more uh, challenges and turn around the stories and trying to get more costs out of there, uh, especially on the consumer side of which Viking plays, I think that's a little bit more tricky. And certainly, we're seeing that we saw that with we're seeing that with the Kraft and Heinz uh, merger as well too. But I think generally. There are some companies that have a, have a history of doing this well. Uh, Celine Basula Middleby is definitely one of them, and there are others like Danaher, where these tuck-in acquisitions can add value for shareholders. But I would say, generally, they're more the exception than the rule. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Great email from Nate Holdstein. Um, Last week on Market Foolery, Emily and I were talking about Boston Beer Company. You and I talked about it on Motley Fool Money, talking about the different brands. And Nate dropped an email regarding the conversation Emily and I had about their 26.2 brand. And Nate writes, Lest you all think this was created just to be imbibed by marathoners, it is actually a limited release for which much of the proceeds go to a sports charity. For a number of years, it supported medical and rehab costs incurred 
interviewed by the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, and I did a quick Google search. Um, yeah, the Spalding Rehabilitation Network. So um, uh, thank you to Nate for the uh, for the email, and uh, that's that's just makes me like it even more. I mean, that's just great. From a, from I mean, that that has like Jim Coke, I think, kind of written all over as a, as a as a brand that so resonates with the Northeast and especially in the in the Boston area, as you know so well. So I think that just speaks to the kind of leadership you want to see from from founder led led organizations like Boston Beer. Andy Cross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.